those of you who were here last week, I just want to reiterate, for those of you who weren't here, um, we, uh, we love you guys. It's a privilege and an honor to be in this place with you, in this redeemed garage to, to worship Christ. Uh, I, as I've shared with you many times, I, I get a mental image of the Lord smiling down upon us, you know, a, a group of internationals from all over the world just coming together to, to honor Him in this humble place. And, and I, we love it here. Uh, we love being here with you. And uh, so I just want to, as we begin 2015, let you know what an honor and a privilege it is to, to be in this body and to worship with you and to honor the, the great God of heaven and earth together. It was great to be in the States. It's always a good time. I always get a little fat. Um, too much fast food. I could barely get my pants buttoned right now, but I'm working on that and I'm trying to discipline myself. But it was a good time. One of the things I enjoy doing when I'm home is my mother-in-law, she graciously just gives us her car while we're there. And her radio station, it's always set on Caleb. Do some of you Americans know this station? Caleb, have you heard of this station? Okay. You know of this station, Caleb. And, and I love to just drive around and listen to Christian music. Sometimes I don't have any particular place to go, but I just drive around and listen. And uh, I really enjoy it. I'm sure I could do it here too, but we have a really old car, so we don't have that technology. I don't know if you could listen to a U.S. Can you listen to a U.S.? Okay, I figured you probably could, but um, our car is like, yeah, it's not going to happen in our car. But um, I notice that sometimes people call in, you know. They call in to K-Love with testimonies about what it's meant to them to listen to K-Love. And, and the byline for K-Love is that they are positive and encouraging, which is a good thing, obviously. And some people will call in sometimes and say, well, this is how I've been affected by your positive and encouraging messages. Or this is what's happened after we begin to attend church. Or... Um, we, have begin to, we have begun to ask questions about exactly what does the Bible mean and what's going on and with this Jesus Christ. And so you hear these, these call-ins. The thing I noticed, and I'm not being critical, I want you to hear me, I'm not being critical, but the thing I noticed about all of these testimonies is they were all about temporal blessing. Every testimony was that I heard while I was in the car, it was about some temporal blessing blessing. Now, we've talked about many times in this church, the temporal blessings of God are His lesser blessings. Amen? They are His lesser blessings. And that's one thing we're going to talk about as we close out this great book of Jude. But the call-ins were about health, and they were about wealth, they were about career, they were about uh, relational situations, and that's all well and good. It's, it's, that's great. I don't have a problem with that. Certainly God blesses temporally. He does, doesn't He? Amen. Praise God. He blesses temporally. We know what we deserve. We deserve immediate judgment. Anything above hell is grace. Amen? If we understand our Bibles, if we understand our predicament before God in our own sin, we understand if we're not in hell, it's infinite grace. Right now, this moment. And everything above that's just icing. God's so good. He's so gracious. He's so kind to us. Certainly, God blesses in a temporal sense. But one caller called in and reported 
that a family member had been cured of cancer, praise God, He is the great physician. He is the master healer. But it's also true. We know if we read our Bibles and observe how God works in His church, sometimes the cancer is not healed. That's truth. That's a truth. One caller called in and reported that since they had started going to church, they'd had a positive upturn in their family finances. Praise God. Praise God. He does sometimes prosper His people. But if we read our Bibles and observe how His providence works out in the universal church, sometimes some Christians are very, very poor and their circumstance never changes. One caller reported a miraculous reconciliation in their marriage. Again, praise God, He resurrects dead marriages. I've seen it many, many times. But if we read our Bibles and we observe those around us in the universal church, we sometimes understand that the unbeliever leaves the believer. As Paul talks about in Corinthians, the unbeliever abandons the believer My concern with these testimonies is not that God's not blessing us temporally all the time, every single nanosecond of every single day. It's true. But that's all I was hearing. That's all that I was... If all I knew about Christianity was what I heard on Caleb, and I want you to understand, I'm not being, I'm not being uh, critical because I don't know what their theology is. I really don't. I don't know what their theology is. And so I'm not trying to be critical. I'm telling you what I heard and how it affected me. But if all I knew about Christianity was what I heard on K-Love, I would think, well, well, God's just a fix-it guy. I need God to fix my life. If I come to Christ, He'll fix my life. If I'll come to Christ, He'll fix all my problems. He's a genie in a bottle. That was the impression. That was the impression. That I got, and that God's temporal, God's uh, concern for my 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 temporal welfare is His ultimate concern. That's that's what I would have taken away from what I heard. I mean, you know, I wanted someone to call in and say something like, "The cancer hasn't been cured," but I love and trust this God. I really wanted to hear somebody say that. I really, really did. I wanted somebody to call in and say, I am so desperately poor compared to the rest of the world, but God, in Christ, I am a man of infinite riches. I have all that I need in Christ. Christ is my supply. I really wanted to hear someone call in and say, you know, I love Jesus with all my heart. I came to Christ and my life radically changed. And my unbelieving husband hated it and my unbelieving husband left me. But Christ is my husband. He fills my life with joy and anticipation about what the future holds. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Isn't real life Christianity so much more powerful and beautiful than the marketed kind? And again, I want you to understand, I'm not, I'm not indicting like K-Love. I'm not saying that's their purpose, is to market the Gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying 
These are some of the thoughts that occurred to me as I listened to the testimonies. Certainly, God blesses in a temporal sense. But the true believer knows and understands and treasures the fact that God's temporal blessings are by comparison inconsequential when contrasted with the blessings of His presence in our lives and the inheritance we have with Him. Amen? This is what Jude's talking about tonight. One of the things that Jude is talking about. I want to hear somebody call and say, I'm a wretched sinner! I was a God-hater! I was on my way to hell, but now I'll be with God forever because of what Christ did. I wanted to hear somebody say that. That's what I want to hear. That's what I, those are the testimonies I want to hear. Yes, I love to hear the temporal blessing. Of course, that's praise God. But beloved, we know the temporal blessings are nothing compared to the eternal blessings. Amen? That await us I wanted to hear someone say, it couldn't get any worse in my life than it is right now. But I look to Christ and I love Him. I love Him. No matter what. No matter what, I love Him. I wanted to hear somebody call in and say, you know, it's really hard right now, but Jude 24 is true. <laughs> Jude 24 is true in my life. It couldn't be any harder than it is for me right now. I couldn't hurt any more than I hurt. I can't cry anymore. But Jude 24 is true. <laughs> Jude 24 is true. Let me read it to you again. Now to God who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory blameless with great joy. Is that not the greatest blessing? Is that not the greatest blessing, beloved? Is it not? <laughs> this gift from God to me that's course, you and I, because we live in this physical world, and we praise God for every physical blessing, because every good thing we have is, is, is from His hand. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that these worldly blessings are nothing compared to what lies ahead. You know, I've said it to you many times. One of the problems with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is that it, it tries to to draw back all the promises of heaven into this life. And beloved, you scripturally can't do that with any integrity. The lion's share of blessing for the Christian, it's is not here. It's not here. It's, it's for there. And this is one of the things that I think Jude is saying to us tonight. This is our last sermon in the book of Jude. It's been a powerful little letter. Uh, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he really closes it out in a breath, in my view, in a breathtaking way. And I just thought I would ask: Does anybody remember anything from the book of Jude? I preached six sermons in the book, six or seven in the book of Jude. I just wondered: Does anybody? Did anything stick with anybody? <laughs> yeah, you know, I really hate putting you on the spot like this, but 
it's a reflection on my ability to communicate the gospel, obviously. But um, uh, anybody remember anything about the about the book of Jude? Pardon me? False teachers. That's, that's very good, Elaine. It's about false teachers. I was talking to uh, a brother yesterday about. I was preaching. He's not in the church, but I was preaching. I said I'm preaching about the book of Jude. Immediately, he knew what it was about. So it's good to remember. God is indicting the 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 pseudo clergy, the apostate churches. God is indicting them in the book of Jude. I, and I, you may remember, I got really enamored and excited about the first verse. God's people are the called, the loved, and anybody remember the kept. And then he ends the book this way. He says, Christ is keeping you. God is keeping you. We are the called, we are the beloved, and we are the kept. I wish somebody had called in to Caleb and said, Hey, I am one of the called, I'm one of the beloved, and I am the kept. I'm kept by Christ. That's a real blessing. <laughs> That's a blessing that lasts forever. Whether your marriage is going well now or whether you have enough money in your bank account or whether the cancer gets cured, that blessing never goes away. Never goes away. You may remember verse 3. Remember what God called us to do? To contend earnestly for the faith. This has been the challenge through the book. Contend earnestly for the faith. It's what disciples do. It's what real Christians do. We come to church. We worship the Lord. We hear the, the, the Word of God preached. We go out that door... And we contend earnestly for the faith. Amen? It's what we do. You may remember verses 5-7. through seven. God judges all who reject Him. All who rebel against God, they're judged. God is no respecter of person. He judged the, the Exodus Jews. He judged the fallen angels. And He judged the Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah. All who rebel against God will undergo the punishment of eternal fire. And we had that one sermon dedicated to the scriptural teaching of of hell. Verses 8 through 13, God talks about the pseudo clergy in the visible church. You remember these guys, the way God uh, described them in verse 4 of the book? He said they crept into the church unnoticed. The apostate pastors and priests and ministers and popes and patriarchs and Bible school teachers and seminary professors and TV evangelists and faith healers, etc., etc., etc. You remember he told us a lot about them. He said they're dreamers. He said they're getting revelation you don't get. Or they claim to, right? They're dreamers. He says they twist the Word of God. They rail at demons. They, they just make stuff up. <laughs> they just make up their own theology. They're greedy men who take millions to hell. These are some of the things we talked about. So we talked about God's indictment of these false teachers. Verses 14 to 23, God tells us how to navigate the avalanche of false teachers and the proliferation of pseudo-churches in these last days. Remember, the Word of God has warned us about it. God says, I've warned you about it. We're not to be naive or surprised that the majority of what is called Christendom today in the world is apostate. It no longer holds to the full truth of the Word of God. Once you start to minimize the 66 books of the Bible, you have departed from the truth of God. And you no longer uh, can claim to be a church with any integrity, biblically. 
So we're not to be naive about this. We're supposed to understand that apostate Christianity exists. That pseudo-Christianity exists. We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to be suspicious about any new teacher we hear on the internet. If he doesn't line up with the Word of God, he's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. We're not supposed to be surprised. We're not supposed to be naive. We're not supposed to, to think just because someone calls himself a preacher or they happen to be a priest or uh, some, hold some religious office that we can trust them. Beloved, you, you always have to take what they say to the Word of God. And we saw what, he, what the Lord said to us here. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be building up our faith. We're supposed to be praying in the Spirit. We're supposed to be walking in obedience. We're supposed to be eagerly watching for the return of God. And in doing this, we give a witness. So Jude is a powerful little book and he, he closes it out in, in a powerful way. So let me ask you, what is your assurance that you will stand blameless before an infinitely holy God? What is your assurance? Is it the sincerity of your profession of faith? Is it the earnestness of your prayer that you prayed to receive Christ? Is it your baptism? Is it your church membership? Is it your denominational affiliation? Is it your church attendance and good works? Is it your outstanding moral lifestyle? What is it? Jude tells us what it is. What is it? It's Christ. Basta. Christ. That's it. That's it. God could care less what denomination you are. Unless it's an apostate denomination. And then He would call you out of it. Do you know Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you obey Christ? We don't have to become disciples to be saved. How do I say it? Anybody remember? We don't have to become disciples to be saved. We have to become disciples because we are saved. Right? Right? So our ultimate hope is Jesus Christ. It's Jude 24. We will stand blameless in the presence of God because God has saved us. And God is holding us. Real Christians will not stumble and fall short of eternal life. Why? Because we are the called, we are the beloved, and we are the kept. Beloved, your salvation is ultimately not about you. It is ultimately about God. Your assurance is God. It's God and God alone. I was reading a, a text uh, in my background readings this week, and it's from Jonathan Edwards. It says, You're con You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> I read that and I thought, that's great. Actually, a friend of mine who's a minister in the States, he posted it on Facebook. That's the only reason I go to Facebook. Because I have all these friends that post this cool stuff, right? And uh, anyway, he's a, great, he's a great brother and a great friend. I thought it was interesting that the women, Karen and I spent a lot of time talking this week because the women are studying Hebrews 6. You guys know that text that many used to teach that a born-again Christian can become unborn again, or in other words, that they can lose their salvation. Not only does Hebrews 6 never say that a real Christian can lose their salvation, there are a number of very strong argu arguments from Hebrews 6 itself that refute such an erroneous view. You really have to bring that presupposition to Hebrews 6. 
Because if you actually tease out what the text says, it's simply not there. Simply not there. As you've often heard me say, the Bible interprets the Bible. If we say Hebrews 6 is saying that you can lose your salvation, um, such an assertion will absolutely shred other parts of the Bible that are clearly teaching that you can't. The Bible always interprets the Bible. Now, I, I could, I really, there's so much I could say here, but I, I won't because I preached on Hebrews 6 some time ago. If you've been taught you can lose your salvation, particularly from Hebrews 6, I would encourage you to go to the podcast site and download it and listen to it. You can get to the podcast site through the website, the church website. Biblically literate Christians understand we will not stumble ultimately and we will not fall short of salvation. We will stand blameless in the glorious presence of God. Why? Because He saved us. He did it. This is what the Bible teaches. He did it. He did it. This is the, the, one of the unique aspects of biblical Christianity. Now, I'm not talking about all Christianity because some of it's pseudo, some of it's false. Some, of, some people calling themselves Christians do teach that you have to do works. You have to keep sacraments. You have to pray prayers. You have to go on pilgrimages. You have to do all these silly things to, quote, impress God. Beloved, the Bible doesn't teach these things. But it's one of the unique aspects of Christianity. Um, in the midst of the false religions that are in the world. Because every false religion in the world, to one degree or another, is a works system. You have to keep the path. You have to keep the way. You have to do the rules. You have to keep the commandments or you're out. Christianity is different. God has saved His people. Not only do I not have to do anything, I can't do anything. You understand? God has saved His people. Salvation is God's idea. It's God initiated. It's God wrought. It's God accomplished. And it's God secured. Of course, we must respond to the Gospel. Of course, we must respond to the Gospel. We must repent and believe. But what does the Bible tell us? Repentance and faith are what? A gift from God. They're a gift from God, and of course, you must exercise them. You must come to Christ. Of course you must. I'm not saying you shouldn't, or you don't have to, of course. But you don't have to do any religious works to be justified before God. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And you have repented of your sin, and you have placed your faith in Him. And beloved, you are kept and you will stand blameless before a holy God. Blameless with joy! <laughs> As Jude says. You know, I meet so many Christians and they don't have assurance because they've been sitting under bad teaching or maybe there's gross sin in their life and they have reason to doubt whether they're saved or not. You know, sometimes, it, sometimes you, as Paul told the Corinthians, you need to examine yourself. Are you really committed to Christ or have you just simply been playing a religious game? Examine yourself. Are you in Christ? Do you love Christ? Are you following Christ? Are you seeking to obey Christ? Go read 1 John. <laughs> you know, if, you, if your life looks like 1 John, it's a good indication that you belong to Christ. 
First John is the book of assurance. But beloved, our assurance of salvation is not ultimately based on the genuineness of our repentance or on the sincerity of our faith. Although those things will become evident in our life, right? In our born-again life. They will become evident. We simply will put down things we used to do. We don't do those anymore. They do not please God. I put those down. I don't do those things anymore. I'm changed. God has changed me from the inside out. You know, religion's outside in. Christianity's inside out, right? I love how the Holy Spirit talks about this in 1 Corinthians verses 26 and 30. And He's talking here about... Well, just let me read part of the text to you. You you know this great text. He says, Consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the weak thing, the base thing, the despised thing. God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. You remember what the men in uh, Matthew 7 were doing to Jesus. Remember what they said? Look what we did, Jesus. We did all this religious stuff. Remember Matthew 7? What did Jesus say? I don't know who you are. You did religious stuff? I don't know who you are. You're boasting in your religious stuff? He said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, right? There's nothing more lawless than religion, beloved. There's nothing more lawless than religion. This, this idea that man can make himself acceptable to God through works, through filthy rag works, as Isaiah says, minstrel, I'm sorry, but this is the text, minstrel rag works, This is what religion is in the eyes of God. If you're going to come to God, there's only one way. There's not two or three or five or ten. There's one. His name is Jesus Christ. You must come through Him. You must come through Him. There'll be no boasting before God. He set it up this way. And then 1 Corinthians continues, but, you're going to love this, but by God's doing you are in Christ. You didn't go looking for God. We talk about it all the time, did you? How many of you went looking for God? You think you went looking for God? Read the Bible. You'll realize you never looked for God. God was looking for you the whole time. God came for you. Go read Genesis chapter 3. God came for fallen man. It was ne- it's never the other way around. God comes for His people. It's always this way. If it's real, it's always this way. He says, by your doing... But by his pardon me, but by his doing you are in Christ. Let him who boasts what? If we have any boast, what is our boast? Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Beloved, do the exegetical math here. If being saved is up to you, you have something to boast about. If staying saved is up to you, you have something to boast about. But if your salvation is from God from beginning to end, <laughs> from eternity past to eternity future, if it's all enveloped in the Godhead, you have nothing to boast about except in the great and awesome work of our beloved Savior. Did you notice in 1 Corinthians, it goes on and it says, um, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, these are from God. Just as it is written, let no man boast. There's a lot of 
boasting in pseudo-Christianity, but there is none for the true believer. So back to Jude 24. Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling in our struggle for sanctification. And Jesus is able to cause us to stand blameless before God. Why? Because God is God. We will persevere because God perseveres. God cannot not persevere. Amen? And we will persevere because He is our perseverance. Many talk about Christian conversion in such a superficial or silly way, I would say. They talk about it like, it's like you can lose it like you can lose your keys. Beloved, salvation, born-again salvation is not something you own. It's someone you know. You understand? It's not something you own. It is a gift. But it's someone you know. This is eternal life that they may know Thee in Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. It's intimacy with God. And we have fallen in love with the most beautiful, compelling, and desirable being in the cosmos. If we have truly glimpsed Him, we will never leave Him. Amen? The only people that ever quote-unquote leave Christ are the ones who never knew Him. They may have played church for three or four decades, but they never knew Christ or they would never leave Christ. He's the most compelling being. If you've ever seen Him, you wouldn't leave Him. Jude 24, along with numerous other passages in the Bible, reveal that the true believer is sure to persevere. We will not stumble and we will stand blameless before God. This is a good definition of the word perseverance which is used 27 times in the New Testament. It's what believe, real believers do. We persevere. We will persevere. Why? I said it already. Because our God cannot fail. His purposes are invincible. We persevere because He saved us. And as Jude says, He's holding us, beloved. He's hold I love this. This gives me goosebumps. Yes, it's happening right now. He's holding me. <laughs> yes, I have sin in my life. And I bring it to the Lord in confession. But I don't ever believe I'm going to lose my salvation because I sinned. Jesus took that to the cross. I grieve at my sin. And I quench the Spirit of God in my life when I sin. But I will not lose my salvation because of my sin. Christ Jesus is holding me. Christ Jesus is holding me. When you understand what the Bible is saying about salvation, you realize that it's not only doctrinally incorrect to say a Christian can lose their salvation, it's really a backhanded slap against the clear meaning and integrity of the Word of God. God has made it clear. I have saved my people. I did it. I did it. It will never be undone. I did it. This is the declaration of God all the way through the Bible. He did it. And you can't boast. He did it in such a way that you can never boast. Do you understand, beloved? Do you understand? It's one of the lessons I never forgot as I preached through the Gospel of John back in 2004, 2005, 77 
uh, sermons in the Gospel of John. It was an awesome, awesome time. But nine times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the true believer is a loved gift from the Father. Go read the Gospel of John. Four times, the Gospel of John says, Jesus says, I'll never lose one that the Father has given me. You know, there are a lot of biblical arguments, scriptural arguments I can make uh, about the fact that Jesus will never lose one of His own. But this may be the most subtle and most powerful and most beautiful one. Jesus says, I'll never lose anything the Father gave me. <laughs> you are a loved gift from the Father to the Son. Did you know it? Did you know that? Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> it's an awesome thing! Right? It's an awesome... It's a breathtaking thing! We're supposed to know these things. So when we can call Caleb, this is what we say! <laughs> Praise God for the cancer cure! Praise God for the uptick in finances. You know, praise God for the healed marriage. But praise God! He saved me. And I will always be saved because He saved me. Beloved, we need to think deeply about these things. We need to be in awe. If you're not in awe of Jude 24, you're not understanding it at all. You remember what Jesus said. Let me just quickly read to you John 10, 26 through verse 30. <laughs> He's talking to the Pharisees. He said, you're not my sheep. He said, he said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Salvation, true salvation, is the work of God from beginning to end. The Father elects, the Son justifies, and the Spirit sanctifies. It's what the Bible clearly says, and you guys know what Romans 8, 29, 30 says. I'll, I'll read it to you real quick. For those whom God foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What is the remarkable thing about the tenses of the verb in, the, in that sentence? It's all done. It's all past tense. You understand? It's done. In the mind of God, it's done. In the mind of God, it's done. It's happening again. <laughs> Gotta call Caleb! What's the number? <laughs> mm. And you guys know how Paul finishes out, how the Holy Spirit finishes out Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jude is the most, Jude's ending to this letter is the most positive and encouraging testimony a real Christian to, can ever give. I love what John MacArthur says about this. I was reading some of his commentary on this passage, and he says, you know, if it was up to us, we would, we would lose our salvation. If it was up to me, I'd lose my salvation. He says, I know how powerful sin is still in me, right? I, I, I know about Romans 7. I understand about Romans 7. I get it, right? He said, if it was up to me, I'd lose it. Probably ten times a day. But it's not up to me. Yes, I'm to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in my sanctification. Yes, I'm to fight the sin in my life. Yes, yes, yes. I'm to become holy because, because He is holy. Yes, yes, yes. But ultimately... I am saved because God has saved me. 
Not because I can keep some performance standard. Listen, beloved. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. Because we love Christ. We want to honor Christ. The works aren't about merit or earning anything. The works are about, I love this God. That's what the works are about. That's why I'm a preacher, man. I'm not earning one thing up here. <laughs> but I, I'm so in love and captivated with Him, I, I, I must proclaim it. And as we close out, I just want to remind you, you guys know this, if you've been around the church very long, that biblical theology gives rise to doxology. So, where does this doxology come from? This doxology you know, that bubbles out of the heart of Jude, it's, it's his right theology. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm held. I'm held. I'm kept. And I'll stand blameless before God. Good theology, biblical theology, inevitably gives rise to doxology. If Jude could call Caleb, he would say this. He would call Caleb and say, Hey, now to God who is able to keep me from stumbling and to make me stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. That's my testimony. That's my testimony. That's my word of praise to God. I think the Apostle Paul could call into Caleb. There's no telling what he would say. But I suspect he would say something like he told Timothy in 2 Timothy just probably days or weeks before he was martyred. He wrote this, The Lord will deliver me. Amen? And bring me safely to His kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 4. 18. So beloved, if we're thinking rightly about God, if, we, if we've rightly divided the Word of God, doxology is, is inevitable. It's irrepressible. We talked about it last week. We can be radical disciples in the world. Why? Because God's God. And so we'll talk about it this week. We are absolutely assured of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's God. That's why. And just a couple of verses to, to buttress verse 25 here as he talks about Christ, uh, about God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's glorious. He's majestic. He, he has dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. We hit some of these verses last week. Daniel uh, 4.35, God does everything according to His will in heaven and earth. No one can stay His hand. I want you to understand you are kept by this God, this powerful God. 1 Timothy 6, 15, 16, He's the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and eternal dominion. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, o Lord is, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and in the earth, Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and You exalt Yourself as head over all. Psalm 135, 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and earth. As Isaiah said, as we talked about last week, who can turn back the outstretched arms of God? You're held by this God. You're held by this God. This sovereign God has called us. This invincible God has loved us. This almighty God has saved us. This indomitable God is sanctifying us. And this omnipotent God is holding us. What was Paul's confidence? And I use this verse so many times. Philippians 1.6 He who has begun a good work in you will what? He'll complete it! God never leaves anything half done. 
He never does. Beloved, it's right sometimes for Christians to struggle with their assurance. I know sometimes preachers say, don't ever doubt it! That's not what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. You're supposed to be able to see signs uh, of regeneration in your life. First John kind of signs. Or the first John kind of things happening in your life. You're supposed to be able to see this stuff in your life. It's good sometimes. It's, let me say it this way. It's healthy sometimes. I went through that once in my life. Struggling with my assurance. <laughs> and I landed on Jude 24, among other verses. My assurance is all in what God has done. And yes, I do see the fruits of His presence in my life. I do see it. I'm certainly not who I was. I'm not who I need to be, but I know I'm on my way. Amen? I know that I'm on my way. Beloved, biblical theology always gives rise to doxology, so if I could call into Caleb right now, and I'm just going to close. I'm just going to read the verse again. This is what I would say. Now to Him who is able to keep me from stumbling and to make me stand in the presence of His holy, pardon me, of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And Jude says, Amen. Amen. I was telling a brother the other day, he had a big thing going on in his life. I said, man, I said, I said, go do it with glad, reckless joy. Be fearless. I told you last week, you can be fearless because your God is the awesome God of the Bible. Whatever God calls you to do, whatever God's leading you to do, go do it with glad, reckless joy. You be fearless in the world, beloved. You be fearless. Your Father happens to be God. Amen? And He's holding you. <laughs> and nothing, nothing apart from the will of God is ever going to happen to you, beloved. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be timid. You don't have to be cautious in the world. I'm done. Daniel 11.32 The men and women who do know their God, they shall what? What does the text say? They shall be fearless and they shall do exploits. Man. Jude 24. I, I, yeah, it's awesome. The Word of God is awesome. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us if we have ever entertained the idea that we made it happen. Forgive, forgive us, Lord, if we've ever, ever entertained the thought of some kind of boast. Lord, Your Word clearly teaches that You save Your people from beginning to end. And Lord, in this church, we acknowledge that truth. We don't run from that truth. We're not afraid of that truth. We don't hedge that truth. You are the great God and Savior. And we praise You. 
And Lord, we know we will persevere because You cannot not persevere. And it is Your purpose to save Your people to the uttermost. And You will bring us into the new heaven and the new earth. And we will live forever with You because You did it. You did it all. You elected. You justified. You sanctified. And You held us and brought us into Your kingdom. You did it all. And we confess that. And we praise You for that, Lord. We will not preach a truncated Gospel. We will not dumb it down. It's what Your Word says. It's what You mean for Your church to declare. You are the great sovereign God in the salvation of Your people. Oh Lord, forgive us if we have not worshipped You deeply because these things are true. Forgive us, Father, if we have entertained some man-centered notion about biblical salvation. Forgive us, Father. We praise You. We love You. Have Your way with us, great God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Can we sing?